Don't hand the dog to me, Mom. I might squeeze him too tight. <laughs> First uh, official show now that we're into the new year. We How think, you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How's the year treating you? Well, it's been a wild one so far, actually. Uh, won't get into any details, but uh, uh, it's very. That sounds juicy. It does. <laughs> and. Uh, it's like uh, a lot of stuff been crammed into nine days, it feels like. Uh, a lot of, uh, some lack of sleep. Well, maybe playing gigs, maybe doing things that ought not to. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was reading back when uh, probably a good 10, 12 years ago, Keith Richards' book came out. And uh, Lynn bought it for me. And uh, he said, I think I'll do that. There was a section in there where <laughs> where he claimed this is what he did. Uh, uh, he would stay up. And I, I don't know, he's probably doing some kind of drugs at the same time as staying up. Maybe he wasn't. Keith, come on. <laughs> yeah. Not Keith. But uh, – what he did was he'd push his uh, body and brain nervous system to the limit and see just how long he could stay up and what it would feel like. And he said that in itself, you know, after about 36 hours, y your, your mind is in yeah. some kind of a strange place, you know. It's, your brain's bleeding. It's almost, it's in some <laughs> kind of a, it's in, in another uh uh, dimension, dimension, kind of like thing. It's almost like a drug, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did that, uh, not intentionally, but it's just one time back uh, was after I read that, so it was probably about twelve, so many years ago. Sounds intentional. And you in, read it? No, I ended up. It was like okay, I had to go get tires on the car at Walmart or something. And so I had stayed up all night the night before and then darn, I had to go get the tires put on the car. And you know how that is. You sit out there and wait on them. Mm -hmm. And that turned into another eight hours. And by then I was, uh, I had hit another, uh, wind, wind, you know, and caught another wind, and then so I got done there and went ahead and shopped in Walmart, probably bought some groceries. Then I got home, then thinking, you know, well, 
it's getting close to supper time. I'll eat supper, then I'll lay down. That didn't happen for some other reason. And it carried on, kept carrying on, and I kept staying up. And I ended up writing three songs, one of them which, which was uh, Song in the Vein. Wow. And, uh, I think I'll stay up for three And days. then it was, uh, there was two more right around that one, all about the same day or within that 30-something hour period. So there's, uh, there's something to be said for that. But anyhow, that's so far 2023 seems like it's going that way for me. How many songs have you written already? In this? Oh, my God. Look, this stack right here. This is from November, the last week of November to the first week of January. There's, uh, there's probably about 12 or 15 songs in this. Now, th these are some co-writes, too. She's you and I, and uh, we had a uh, two songs kitchen session over at the house on uh, December the 4th. And uh, Corey Bradley, Jason Chancy, Jason's daughter Kerrigan, your son Cohen, mm -hmm. my son Connor, and me and you wrote this song, Ghosts of One Night Stands. And then about a week ago, we went over to Ryan Crosby's and got a classic country song <laughs> out of the way called It Sure Ain't Funny. <laughs> it is it is a real true country country mm -hmm. song. Sounds like a classic. It sounds like a classic. Yeah. And then me and my wife uh wrote a song back on December eleventh down in Jacksonville. Another kind of classic Patsy Klein type song called I Walk Alone. So there's some collaborations in here and around that it's just stuff that hits me in the head and I can't Shake it until I put it down. I wrote one the other day on the 5th. It's going to be the prequel to uh, uh, Dance with the Devil. It's mm. going to tell the story of the uh, John Carter, John Carter, and well. the young girl that he killed. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, not to be confused with John Carter and Waycross. He ain't killed nobody <laughs> yet. That but we know of. <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> anyhow, it's fun. You should play some of them. Yeah. I was wanting to uh, uh, be in this how that uh, uh, this year's already kind of starting off strangely twisted and everything and uh the GOP couldn't elect a house speaker for days and days and days and it was just like it was all messing and gomming and this year just seems to have started off in a big mess and gom uh i was thinking about this song that came on my youtube the other day when i was sitting at home it was an old uh, murder ballad, and uh, I listened to it again in, in all of its simplicity. It is 
one of the realest, one of the most real country songs <laughs> that I've ever heard in my life. And I thought we'd start off with that just to show you where my head's at. <laughs> and what is it? It's called Psycho, and it's by a country music singer-songwriter music executive from back around the 60s called Eddie Nowak. So uh, That's a good song. Y'all wrap your head around this if you can. <laughs> some fish mama I'm as hungry as can be oh lordy how I wish mama you could keep the baby quiet cause my head's killing me <laughs> I seen my ex last night mama at a dance at Miller's store mm -hmm. She was with that Jackie White Mama I killed them both And they're buried Under Jenkins Sycamore Don't you think I'm psycho, Mama You can pour me a cup <laughs> If you think I'm psycho, mama, mama, better let them lock me up. Don't hand the dog to me, mama. I might squeeze him too tight. <laughs> and I'm as nervous as can be, mama. But let me tell you about last night. I woke up in Johnny's room, Mama, standing right by his bed. With my hands near his throat, Mama, wishing both of us was dead. You think I'm psycho, don't you, Mama? Yeah, kind of. I just killed Johnny's pup. I just killed Johnny's pup. <laughs> you think I'm psycho, don't you, Mama? You better let him lock me up. You know the little girl next door, Mama? I think her name is Betty Clark. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Don't tell me that she's dead. Oh, Mama. It sounds Why, I just seen her in the park. sounds so sincere. Oh. <laughs> she was sitting on a bench, Mama, thinking up a game to play. Seems I was holding a wrench, Mama, then my mind walked away. My mind walked away. You think I'm psycho, don't you, Mama? Didn't mean to break your cup. <laughs> How'd he break the cup? You think I'm psycho, don't you, Mama? Mama, 
Mama, why don't you get up? Say something to me, Mama. <laughs> he done mama. killed Mama with the cup. <laughs> okay. We, we should have had the camera on Justin because he, I don't think he's ever heard that one. <clears throat> well then, what what what's now. your take on that, Justin? Fresh years. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely hear the Charlie Crockett influence. Mm-hmm. Charlie Crockett that, that production. Well, at least as far as the, the Charlie sound. Crockett was influenced by Eddie Nowak. If that, that's what I'm yeah, saying. That, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, and this came out in the '60s. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now look at that picture. It's uh, and the Bates Motel kind. That's what the album looked like. Mm-hmm. Did the, I it's, could, it's uh, I think it came out after the movie. Right after the movie, Psycho was real popular, and. But yeah. it sounds like they were like, well, it's about some crazy guy. Let's write a song about some crazy killer. But that doesn't have anything to do with the actual movie. How did yeah. people take this when it came out? Bizarre? Uh-huh. Well, it was actually, uh, this says 1949. It came out, and it was it, written in 49? It says Psycho presenting Eddie Nowak, 1949. This with says that. the uh, KR can all-star recording yeah, of 69. Yeah, I'm sure it was re-release. Let's see what. Uh, what year did the movie come out? Movie was in the sixties. Ah, oh. early sixties. I should have known it wasn't forty nine. Yeah, uh, let's well, see. You read uh, that? It's Leon Payne. in Wikipedia there. Now his his real name was Diarmon Alexander Nowak Jr. Eddie for short. Born nineteen thirty. Died nineteen seventy eight. He wrote "A Day in the Life of a Fool," uh, recorded by George Jones in seventy one. Another song by George Jones, "Flowers for Mama." Uh, Mama, Mama, Mama. Uh, Mama, I got you some flowers. Sorry about your cup. <laughs> and it's one of those things, like if you just heard it, like as background music, you would think, well, this is just classic country. And then yeah, you listen, yeah, you start listening to the lyrics and you're like, and my mind walked away. Yeah, like, what's what? going on here? Yeah, this, it is tainted for sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, so it had nothing to do with the movie. I was wrong about that completely. Well, let's see what this says. Uh, well, it does not have the year that it was written. So, story behind the song. Here we go. My phone won't die. Uh, we got a story behind the song. And uh, it, it seems like a, you know, a serial just, killer. Just died. Okay. <clears throat> there is a there is a link there, uh, TexasSongs.com, story behind the song Psycho. He looks like a <laughs> devil, don't he? Blue-eyed devil. He looks slightly, uh, wow, what, a, what an album cover that is. There it is, there it is. Texas music story behind the song. 
In the early decades of Top 40 Radio, pop music was saccharine sweet and rock and roll aimed at pubescent teens. Let's see. Psycho Billy, songs about suicide, murder, drug overdose, prisons, rubber rooms, serial rapists. And uh, <clears throat> no song is as disturbing and unforgettable as Psycho, a lunatic account of murder from a killer's perspective. Uh most bizarre of it all, it was written by an admired blind Texas songwriter, uh, Leon Payne, who wrote uh, Lost Highway. Lost Highway for Hank Williams, right? Mm-hmm. Leon Payne was born in 17 in Texas, blind in one eye at birth, Uh Known as the Blind Balladeer, he played with Bob Wills. Uh, <clears throat> I love you because I guess that's the way that one. And Lost Highway, he wrote Psycho in 1968 after a discussion about serial murders with his steel guitar player Jackie White. Jackie White would become a victim in the song, yeah. buried under a sycamore tree. Eddie Nowak, well-liked and respected honky-tonk singer-songwriter, had fallen on hard times by the late 60s. And uh, so he picked up the song. Oh, he became associated with Pappy Daly. That was uh, George Jones' manager. Lefty Frizzell's manager. <clears throat> so how about that? Psycho the movie came out in sixty, so it had to be some kind of influence. In Surely the... it did. Well, it influenced that album cover for mm -hmm. sure. And the uh, title. I mean, they don't. So say... he used some leftover recording time to record Psycho and three other murder and bedlam songs in nineteen sixty eight. Including a song he wrote called Dolores about a serial killer who accidentally murders his wife he on was, accident. He was already a serial killer, but I didn't mean to kill you. <laughs> Said uh, by 68, he was already a heavy drinker. And uh, what's that? This dip Dipsomania. What is that? Affected his career. You know what that is? Uh, Dipsomania. I do not know what that one is. Dipso. Dipso. And this is uh, Noak or? Yeah, Noak. Maybe he dips snuff. <laughs> Dipsomania. He was a maniac. Dipsomania. Alcoholism specifically in a form characterized by intermittent bouts of craving for alcohol. Huh? huh. Okay. Isn't that yeah, alcoholic? That just sounds <laughs> like alcoholism to me. <laughs> no, y'all, I got it bad. <laughs> no, Let's see, roll on down. Uh, it says uh, radio stations of the day were not going to play that song, uh, which included the murder of a little girl whacked by a wrench in a park and the killing of a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, that was hard. <clears throat> no axe chilling. Yet, they killed his friend, his little girl or almost killed his brother, brother's dog, the mama. 
Like, no axe chilling and emotionless. First person reading of the song is a tour de force. You actually believe the killer is singing. Uh, disc jockey in Grand Rapids played Psycho on a midnight radio show. <laughs> and uh, a cult <laughs> hit was born. He denied it when his job was threatened. <laughs> wow. Oh. Oh, they were discussing that mass murder of those uh, Chicago nurses in 1966. Yeah, the song sprang out of that conversation. Who killed the nurses in 66? Uh, Richard Speck. I remember that one now. I don't, re- I don't a, remember that story. That was a crazy, another one of them crazy times, you know. Yeah, Manson. He killed them all at once. Chicago, or like a one Chicago nurses. They were all living in this in a dormitory. Yeah, he died in seventy eight. Of Elvis Costello recorded it in nineteen eighty one on Almost Blue album. Yeah, I've heard that. Today, it's recognized as a cult classic. Theme time radio hour. Bob Dylan's show. Bob Dylan said, Eddie Nowak, a singer and songwriter originally from Houston, Texas, <laughs> who recorded for Star Day Records. He wanted to be a journalist, but we have enough journalists, not enough people who can sing and write like Eddie Nowak. <laughs> Eddie recorded the song Psycho, written by Leon Payne, a song about a serial killer. Quite understandably, it never got a lot of airplay, but it's become quite a bit of a cult favorite, as is Eddie Nowak himself. <laughs> but what's uh, interesting also is, you know, he sung it, but uh, Leon Payne that wrote it and then, you know, also wrote more Lost mainstream Island. songs Yeah, that talk about range, you know. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's really true with any songwriter. I mean, you can sit down and get immersed in a conversation with your best yeah. friend about Charles Manson, you know, and all of a sudden you sit there, yeah. he's attempting to write a song about it. I've written Murder Ballad before. Mm-hmm. It wasn't based on anything, really. It just kind of fell into place, mm-hmm. you know. And You never never know when, which direction a song's coming from or when it's coming. You don't. But that, that right there is one of the... Uh, Prime, yeah. best, a number one T-bone steak <laughs> of murder ballads right there. Yeah, I mean, most murder ballads they just kill one person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this guy was. It's like every verse, Ooh, somebody's me. going down. It might be the mm. dog, might be mama, might be a little girl. Very, very realistic was that one. Mama. <clears throat> well. That's uh, Eddie Nowak, <laughs> and uh, written by Leon Payne. Let's play a good one by Leon Payne. Let's play uh, the Hank Williams song, uh, Lost Highway, and show show people that this guy ain't all bad. <laughs> this has got my favorite It is couple lines mm-hmm. in it. The Hank Williams song. Thank you. 
a rolling stone That's not Hank That's Lonely Leon I guess this is him when singing I pass by, That's Leon It's not Hank just you know, I go, go just search for Leon Payne so yeah. on the lost highway. Oh, turn it on, Mr. Turner. You hear that old uh, Bob Wills sound in there, too? Oh, make your mama proud of you, boy. And I Love You Because was another one of his big, big hits. did it a whole lot better yeah. and, and the words are different with hank so i guess hank my favorite lines that liberty. just passed were uh kind of re, re reworded reworded by hank which i like better <clears throat> play a little bit of number four there everybody cut this one i love you because you understand every single thing I try to do oh you're always there to lend a helping hand most of all I love you cause you're you no matter what the world may say about me I know your love will always see me through Hey Ernest Dove cut that Oh I love you Just For the way you never doubt me So But most of all I love you He not only wrote you. Great Murder songs. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy Arms. He wrote that. That's another one. Crazy Arms. Crazy Arms. That was old uh, Ray uh, Price. Mm-hmm. Now the word yeah. for the way. Old Ray Price, the Cherokee Cowboy, made that one. Big. In this heart of mine. This ain't no crazy it says uh, Crazy Arms was written by Ralph Mooney and Charles Seals. Huh. Okay. So Leon didn't write it. He just recorded it. Mooney? Ralph Mooney. I've heard that name before. Somebody knew. He was an Amer- Ralph Mooney was an American steel guitar player that was inducted into the Steel Guitar Hall of Fame yeah. in 1983. Oh, Mooney, Moon. 
That's the classic stuff right there now. He was with the Baker, Bakerfield Sound. Yeah. I just got through reading uh, a biography on Buck Owens, which was very interesting. I think I mentioned that, might have mentioned that on the podcast already, but it was, uh, I didn't realize that uh, Buck Owens had written uh, Crying Time Again, You're Gonna Leave Me. Ray Charles, I can oh, yeah. see that far away look in your eyes. That was a Buck Owens original. Wow. <laughs> He was a songwriter. He mm. crank he cranking them out. Yeah. Hell of a businessman too. And he and he fought Nashville tooth and nail. He said, I'll do it without them sons of bitches. And uh they never accepted it, accepted him or credited him with anything, you know. <laughs> Until very late in life. Until he hauled. Finally broke down. <laughs> yeah. And that was uh, kind of like uh, uh, he made a hell of a lot of money off he haul and he made the decision to go into TV because it was going to be a show about country music and he thought one needed to be out there, but well, it he did portrayed TV. him as a Didn't as he do a TV before that? Yeah, he had the uh, Buck Owens Ranch show, yeah. which was on, uh, you know, like medium market television stations and all, you know. He Hall was on major market. Right, but that was way later. And that made 69, I believe is when that started, 68 or 69. <clears throat> he Hall did? Mm-hmm. I remember coming home from church, or we'd stop by our friend's house and sit there, and Daddy and Joe Ma could sit there and, uh, uh, kick back in their <laughs> recliners and say, he all's coming on. <laughs> they got a kick out of it. It was right when it first started out. I was thinking, oh, my God, country corn pone. This is corn pone. I can't do it. Corn pone. <clears throat> but it, it, was, it was good. It'd be about three more years before I'd, come full circle and realize that the country music that I started out listening to at three years old was, in fact, just fine. <laughs> it was good. It was all good. That's when the... Yeah, that's kind of... Well, 69 was about when Graham started uh, flying burritos and all of that. Is that when you realized that the early I country? I did not know about Graham in 69. Uh, it was four more years before I discovered Graham. But when you discovered Graham, was that what made you go back and no, like the no, original No, country? see, see, I had, uh, me and, and Billy Ray had already started leaning in that direction anyhow, you know. It was uh, Chris Christopherson. Mm -hmm. um, well, it was start. Country had started sneaking uh, into Credence was rock at that kind of there, you know. Credence was a little bit of that, you know. And uh, let's see what other groups was coming around uh, right along. The Eagles came out in seventy two. So you had Poco, 
you had Crosby, Stills, and Nash in '69. So that was uh, some. That was some of the first albums that I bought. Was that, and that led led you back to Birds and um, um, Buffalo Springfield. And then you had Neil Young in there too, you know, and all of his uh, solo stuff go along with Crosby, Stills, and Nash. There was a lot of elements of uh, country. Nitty Gritty Dirt Band was another one that I had already bought. And uh, so we were already leaning in that direction. And then when the Eagles hit in 72, it was automatically, and they said, this is country rock, okay? Still didn't know about the Influence, influence the seminal influence uh, of Graham Parsons. And that came about in July of 73 when I bought that magazine and read the article. And by then, shit, Graham had already been in The Birds. Sweetheart of the Rodeo had already been released. We never knew about that. Flying Burrito Brothers had already been out. We didn't know about that. Uh GP had come out, and that was what was being reviewed in this magazine article that I read, and it spelled it all out right there. And from that point forward, we went backward and 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 uh, bought all of those uh, early uh, birds and burritos and, and just discovered it from... Uh, you know, International Submarine Band. You had to go all the way back to that, you know. So it's pretty cool. You reckon we'll go out there? I hope so. <laughs> I don't have a plan B. That's what, uh, Andy messaged me today. Are we in? Are we all in on this? But, uh, yeah. Well, I said. Somebody might have to burn my body in the desert for it's over. We with. got uh, <laughs> we got uh, um, them two, the one in uh, Tucson and the one in uh, Pioneer Town that uh, is done deal, uh, except for the uh, the or the details, and they're slow getting back, but might have to call them on the telephone or something. We're talking about a. Trying to plan a tour. Stagecoach, Waycross Stagecoach. Yes. A little run out to talking about Cali and back. But, uh, in April, mid-April. and uh, If anybody's got any connections. It would be fun. We already got some things lined up. Gulf Shores, Alabama, Tucson and Phoenix, Arizona. Pioneer Town, Joshua Tree, California. And uh, that, uh, and Athens, Georgia. So you put all that together and figure out a route. (laughs) (coughs) 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 We definitely want to do that. Uh, Um, well, what's next? How about a little uh 
I play a song. I got a little song here. You got 15 over there. Well, I'm going to pick one. It's called The Love in You Was Once in Me. <laughs> about this is one I want to play how about this can hurt me and put me down You may desert me and push me Nobody 
something like that anyhow. It really came off better the other night when I was uh, half lit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that sounded good. I like it. Nobody like you. When did you write that one? Uh, The other night. uh, That was the night after we got back from Ryan's. Ryan was playing a uh, little thing when we left his carport was going oh yeah I remember the old rock and roll progression so I had them words kind of go into that and then I Veered off into left field. <coughs> the only thing I've written or co-writes with you here lately. Well, it ain't no murder ballad. Well, I wrote one that's not really finished, but... What about that one you were playing over at the house the other night before we went over to Ryan's? The one you said sounded like draw blood. <laughs> that one. Ball and chain. Yeah, it was that one. And there was another one too that <clears throat> it was uh kind of dark. I think we found it on that uh SoundCloud. Oh yeah. One of them. Well, uh, you ain't never played that one on here. I don't have the words, but um, we'll remember them at the time. But we recorded me and Connor recorded that over here. We haven't, I don't think we got a final mix on it. Or I liked it. Running Blind. You probably don't have that where you can pull it up. I don't know if there's a mix. But it was uh, I, uh, that wasn't recent. That was three, four years ago. Now that I written that, wrote that. It's one of them that uh, doesn't really have a chorus or a or a hook or which which they don't need to. Got the lunar recording system opening up, folks. <laughs> lunar going to the moon. I watched a uh, <clears throat> cute little old uh, <clears throat> CGI movie last night called, I think it was called. Planet 51 or Area 51 or something based on uh, an Earth-like planet of aliens and uh, an astronaut from the United States accidentally lands on there and they're all running around. They're they're, uh, like 1950s Earth. They're all, you Mm -hmm. know, aliens, but they're dressed and 
homes and uh, barbecues and pets and gas stations and comic book stores, movie theaters. It's all like 1957 Earth, you know? And uh, there's astronaut lands on there, and he's the alien. And they're all freaking out, except for this one smart kid in high school who's devoted his life to uh, uh, studying solar system. It was funny. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to wait for the connection. There ain't no connection. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just a fun movie to watch with your grandkids. Only I watched it all by myself. Still, <laughs> still hung over from the weekend. My nerves was on edge. Uh. <laughs> I was doing anything I could to get grounded. So you watch some space cartoons. Feel rounded. Space cartoons. Pizza. Cat in the bed next to me. Cat's got her own bed. Cat in the bed next to me. Cat in the bed. You got a bed next to you. Sci-fi cartoon, cat in the bed, pizza. That don't get you rounded. This thing going open. We need to take a break. Yeah, we could do that. All right. We'll We'll take a break. We'll check the... uh, Think of some more cartoons. Check the score. Uh, Georgia and... uh, TCU horned frogs are going at it. They're horny toads. We'll be right back, folks. Something in my brain won't let me stray. Something in my veins gonna find its way. Something in the water taught me how to pray. Hey, well, we're gonna uh, listen to a little Sean Clark original, right? Yeah, we uh, we didn't really have a mix of it with what we've been recording, so I figured I'd just play the thing. It's been a minute, but uh, I got the words right here. It's good. It's called Running Blind. Again. 
chasing lines across the page, singing rhymes of darker days, burning sun lights away, casting shadows upon gray, being born, running blind, pick it up. Fall behind, turning loose, the ties bind. There's a song within your mind. Find a love with a friend, reaching out, falling in. When it's gone, play pretend, and we do. All again, and we do it all again, and we do it all Well, thank you. Uh, you say that makes you cramp. Yeah, it's that the, bar chord the whole cord, time. Chord patterns. <laughs> it reminds me of that. Uh, Justin, see if you can get on the internet there and, and uh, pull up Tom and Jerry's uh, cartoon call <laughs> Krampus. I think that's the name of it. Just type Tom and Jerry. Krampus. Well, Krampus is the is the bad Santa Claus. The one that comes and steals the naughty kids <coughs> and uh, eats them or something. Have you, seen, you know what I'm talking about? Crambone. Crambone. See? <coughs> Just play a little segment of that. <clears throat> At one minute 38, probably do it there. Underneath there. Right there. It's funny. It's important for me to get the right coverage, and I only pay $16 a month. But I'm a better me. This is pure genius right here now. <clears throat> well, I try to write a song, but he's like, well, that reminds me of this. this now, this is pure genius. Crambone. Before it gets started, ain't it? I wonder who oh, that is. Froggy Horton, he did ride Crambo. Froggy Horton, he did ride Crambo. Froggy Horton, he did ride Crambo. Froggy Horton, he did ride a sword and a, and, a, and a revolver by his side Crambo. Froggy Horton, he did ride Crambo. Killed Fla La 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 that's a hard part right in there, and then that's you. Crambo killed a liar, flop a doodle yellow bug, too long did he cover up the top bottom of it. Crambo. Aliole. And the yodel goes right in there somewhere, but it's a little too high for me. Oh, where will the wedding supper be? 
You got that Roger Roger Miller kind of thing, but it wasn't him. But I wonder who that was. Who? I don't know my phone. There I don't know who uh, was responsible for the. Uh, <clears throat> the voiceover or the voice unders. But right now, I'm going to do a voiceover for you because it's time for a tale of the week. <coughs> yeah. Crambone. <clears throat> it's just a little uh, insignificant uh, <clears throat> congestion. Nothing. Fancy. It's not the cracking. It's not the COVID. It's not the flu. But Mark Twain, we're going to start this tale of the week off with a Mark Twain quote from 1927. <laughs> Picture that little old uh, handlebar mustache mouse saying this. <laughs> Clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence on society. That's it. Mark Twain, 1927, said, Clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence on society. Now, I've heard the opposite. Clothes don't make the man. But it seems growing up in the 50s and 60s, I was exposed to music made by bands, made up of musicians who appreciated Samuel Clemens' outlook and took dressing up to a whole new level. Uniformity in uniforms was the expected route to go since the early days of country, folk, and rock and roll, performed by artists in high school gyms, theaters, civic centers, or at county fairs, hootenannies, and sock hops. In 1955, one of a handful of groups that ushered in the new sound, exciting kids to shake, rattle, and roll, and leaving grown-ups to shake their heads, rattle their fusty swords, and roll their skeptical eyes was Bill Haley and his comets rock around the clock. Used under the opening credits to the film Blackboard Jungle in 1955. Bill Haley, a pudgy moon-eyed frontman and unlikely poster boy for rock and roll, began his musical career in the mid-40s before forming Bill Haley and the Saddlemen in 1949. By then, he'd had plenty of exposure to the styles and wardrobes affected by the country music acts of the times. Ernest Tubb formed his band, the Texas Troubadours, in February of 1943. And as was common practice, the lead singer was clothed in a costume that stood out from the regulars in the band behind him. Looking sharp on stage was a requisite for performers across all genres in those days. I saw it again and again 
on album covers and magazines and through the television, from Buddy Holly and the Crickets and the Kingston Trio to the Four Seasons and the Beach Boys. They all dressed alike. Then came the lightning bolt from across the Atlantic, the Beatles. Four years before the Beatles reached their wildly successful perch among the musicians of the world, back when they were playing six-hour sets at the Indra in Hamburg, Germany, before Brian Epstein agreed to manage them, they were happy in their leather pants, leather jackets, and cowboy boots, priding themselves as the anti-establishment of other uniformed counterparts like Cliff Richard and the Shadows or Rory Storm and the Hurricanes. Brian Epstein, a cultured and well-to-do owner of a successful Liverpool music store, agreed to manage the Beatles in 1962, and he set about refining their stage wardrobe by putting them in matching suits. Any concerns of selling out their art in favor of commercialism were quickly put aside as Epstein guided them into higher-paying gigs, a record contract, and worldwide success. Following the invasion of the Beatles, garage bands sprang up all around Waycross, Georgia, with bands like the Fauxpas <laughs> in their matching dashiki shirts and white jeans. Now, see, that's uh, uh, sprawled out on that chair in front. That's a little John Randall Smith. <laughs> oh, really? That's Bill Smith right behind him. <clears throat> and... Uh, uh, Second from the right, that's Jimmy Sistar on the right, Bill Ferris third to the left, and William Rowell on the far left, the faux pas. <clears throat> the Changing Times was another band in Waycross, and they dressed in psychedelic Nehru jackets. The henchmen wore medieval ruffled shirts and black capes. Papa Fox was a band in my uh, high school days in the early 70s that wore white double-breasted gangster suits and ties. And the Riots, who later became the Royals, simply opted for white shirts, dark slacks, and neckties. Down Home Band with Eddie Middleton, my first experience in a full-time show band, happened in 1975. And I was guided into the world of matching stage attire by former King David and the Slaves alumni, T. Wayne Scarborough and Eddie Middleton, because it was professional and it looked good. Well, at least we thought it did in the days of polyester and double knit. We were on the road six nights a week, and our wardrobe was expansive, not expensive. Many of our clothes were bought in Valdosta at the fly shop and the famous store on Ashley Street. We had blue pants that alternated with light blue and white shirts, peach pants with tan or multicolored polyester shirts, blue pinstripe jumpsuits, blue checkered gauze shirts underneath tight white gonad-killing overalls, and our comfortable safari-looking ensemble we called the Jungle Suit. Prior to seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan in 1964, I used to watch country music shows on Saturday evening. A nonstop lineup featuring Porter Wagoner and the Wagoneers, Buck Owens and the Buckaroos, and Jimmy Dean. There's old Buck and them. 
that was taken right outside the uh, uh, Madison Square Garden in New York City. We didn't own a color TV set until 69, but you could see those sequin and rhinestone studded outfits twinkling and wrecking havoc on our little black and white TV screen. Graham Parsons, formerly Ingram Cecil Connor III of Waycross, used to watch those old country western shows as well. It didn't take him long to alter the musical and fashion landscape of Southern California. After joining and dropping out of the birds, he formed the Flying Burrito Brothers with Chris Hillman, Chris Etheridge, and Sneaky Pete Kleino. In the late 60s, prior to the recording of the Burrito's debut album, Gilded Palace of Sin, Graham took the band to the workshop of famous Western wear designer Nudie Cohen for band outfits. Nudie and his staff did not disappoint, the result being four of the most dazzling, celebrated suits of the early cosmic American music movement. Call the Sistine Chapel ceiling of cowboy attire by John Robinson of The Guardian, Graham's nudie suit was made of white cavalry twill embroidered with naked ladies on the lapels, rhinestone-studded marijuana leaves, sequin-dotted poppies, two-and-all and second-all capsules, and acid-laced sugar cubes. On the back of his jacket was a giant red cross, casting off gleaming rays of blue, yellow, and red interspersed with rhinestones. The front and rear pockets of his pants boasted more red poppies, and the legs were embellished with flames that crept down the sides all the way to his bell bottoms. Graham Parsons, like all those groups who came before and some who came after, knew the importance of a good-looking stage outfit. He kind of summed it up for entertainers everywhere when he said, just because we wear sequin suits doesn't mean we think we're great. It means we think sequins are great. <laughs> sequins hide the pain. <coughs> yes. And that being said, we're going to lay to rest. Episode 58. It started out with the uh, psycho, uh, that murder ballad from Eddie Nowak, and we're going to peacefully lay it to rest now <laughs> with a nice little sign-off. Before we go, though, mm -hmm. we got these beautiful Something in the Water podcast T-shirts that are available to order on our website, somethinginthewaterpodcast.com. That's right. And from there, on there, you can also watch past episodes two a month that are free for your pleasure. And, and you can also. Can you find the Patreon from the website? Yes, sir. Yeah. So <clears throat> jump right over. You can to follow Patreon. us over there to, to the deep end for $5 a month and catch an extra episode. No holds barred <clears throat> episode. Mm -hmm. And uh, there it is right there, up there on the screen. There's our website, somethingwaterpodcast.com, presented by Caution Light Media. That's uh, Justin Mercer pulling all the strings and making it all happen. 
So we thank you all again for watching, and we appreciate it so much. We'll see you next time. Go dogs. Just my see your face.